Welcome to the Social Market Foundation podcast, where we bring you news, ideas and opinions from the leading centrist think tank in Britain. I'm James Kirkup, director of the SMF, previously a journalist at Westminster for 15 years, where I spent my time talking to politicians, officials and experts about policy and politics. And now I'm going to talk to you in these podcasts. Today's podcast is part of our Ask the Expert series in association with the Economic and Social Research Council, which brings academic research and expertise on public policy to Westminster. Today's expert is Professor Adam Sigan, lecturer in EU law at the University of Leicester and lead researcher on parties, parliament and the Brexit process at the UK in a Changing Europe, an ERCRC centre. Professor Sigan joins us to cover some little questions like, how did we get here? What is Parliament up to at the moment and what on earth is going to happen next? There was never an anticipation that there was going to be a leave vote and how Parliament and government were going to respond to this. So the choice of a very simple in-out referendum means that the political commitment to deliver on that referendum gave Parliament in effect no um, political choice other than to give effect to the, the, the will of the people, as it's revert, referred to. So really that, that's the, I guess, the parliamentary equivalent of the Whitehall lack of preparation. It's quite, it's quite well established, quite famous now, that David Cameron told civil servants that they shouldn't prepare for a leave outcome from the referendum. But yeah, I guess people haven't quite thought through as much the fact that Parliament equally wasn't prepared. Absolutely. I mean, what Parliament has to do is disentangle itself from 45 years of European legislation, which is not a task that can be done overnight. And indeed, even before March the 29th, there'll be significant parts of the statute book which haven't been changed. There'll be no immigration, new immigration regime, for example, um, in place. The other problem that we, we saw from arising from this is that when it became clear that, that, that we're leaving, the only way we were really going to leave was to maintain what we've currently got. So we have the EU Withdrawal Act, which incorporates the whole body of EU law into UK law as far as is possible. And that's what the UK is going to be working with. This is the legislation that was originally sold as the Great, the great Repeal the, Bill, the great repeal. which in fact was the Great photocopying bill yeah. because actually it just transposed Absolutely. huge chunks of legislation over from uh, EU, EU law into UK law and yet was presented as an act of, act of repeal. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always refer to them to retain the EU law or under the EU Withdrawal Act as just a PDF which is going to be created on Brexit Day. <laughs> and as of all PDFs, they are a photo of, of that document at that time. But <laughs> the EU law will continue yes. to develop and we will then have to be making choices or our parliament will have to be making choices on what it decides yes. to do. Okay. Um, so, so that's roughly um, yes. Um, so Parliament wasn't wasn't prepared for what happened if we, if and when the country voted to leave. So let's sort of talk through how we got to the current situation. But I think the technical term uh, sort of constitutional scholars would describe um, where we are at the moment in Parliament as a total mess. Uh, how how did we get here? Well, I think we got here essentially through poor political management and almost like a perfect political storm that has created a minority government which is trying to deliver Brexit where the single most important issue which seems to, seems to rise is, is Northern Ireland where it relies upon for its support <laughs> in Parliament. We have a, a Labour opposition which is in a, under a leadership where Euroscepticism has been a significant part of, of Jeremy Corbyn's political agenda. 
Um, and so we have two parties who are giving effect to the will of the people, but neither of them is actually united on what they want to deliver. Yeah. And I think the biggest the biggest challenge has been is not just the sort of inter-party disputes, but the intra-party disputes and the lack of consensus between the various parts of each of the main political parties. You say perfect storm. Obviously, you, you've yeah, this is your life's work, effectively, study. you're studying near parliament uh, parties, the balance of power. If you were designing a scenario for the UK Parliament to deal with this sort of challenge, can you think of any way this could be worse? I mean, is there, I mean essentially, it ticks every box of disaster, doesn't it? It, it, it does. I mean, I, I think the only, way, the only way it realistically could be worse is if we would got to this stage and we hadn't even got through to the point of the of, of the of the EU withdrawal act being on the statute yes. book that we were still having the discussions and the debates around around that um, yeah. and I think that would perhaps be the only way right and so that, so that actually takes us to I mean you know, yeah the, the withdrawal act uh, yeah the article fifty yeah, act uh, let's go back to, to, to the origins of that a little and that, and that really that's sort of a story that starts with a woman called Gina Miller isn't it yes Gina Miller. Um, we don't hear so much about her these days, but she's um, you know, you know, going to go down in history as quite an important figure in uh, in, in, in British history. Yes, I, th- I think I think Gina Miller, what she did was to try and bring the Brexit process within the forum of Parliament and taking it away from the executive. Now, whether her other ambitions were to find a way in which a, a parliament which was predominantly constituted of Remain MPs at the time was perhaps going to stop this process. I think it's that, that's something that perhaps we can look at. You've said before, I think, that what she did was uh, ensure that parliament and the executive are going to end up at loggerheads at various points of the Brexit process. And because uh, you know, the result of that Supreme Court case that she won was to, to confirm that Brexit, triggering Article 50, could only be done by an act of parliament, you know, parliament, not the executive, which creates the, the impression, the expectation that parliament gets a continuing say in the process. So I mean, the implied logic, if you like, is that if parliament is there at the start of the process, pressing the button with Article 50, it has to be there at the end, which is where we get the, the meaningful vote from. And I think that has, what that has done is it's empowered MPs over time, particularly with after the 2017 general election and the minority government, where MPs from all parties, but particularly, I think, from, from the Conservative Party, people like Dominic Grieve, have been very effective at using sort of constitutional mm. mechanisms or parliamentary procedure as a way of ensuring that Parliament um, continues to have a, a significant role in, in, in the Brexit process. Now, critics of that will say that actually those are really nothing more than attempts to stop Brexit. Um, but what he, I think, has done is highlighted the need, if nothing else, that at the end of this process, there has to be some form of credibility to to, 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 to Brexit. The Parliament is in agreement. Legitimacy. With yes. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, to, to go back to, to, to the Withdrawal, withdrawal Act, I mean, that really taking the sort of instant history view of the last two and a half years, that vote in February 2017, I mean, that really is a, you know, a hugely important event, isn't it? And I, I, I mean, I, I said this, I'm, I'm still struck by the number of MPs, bluntly, who talk as if, both publicly and privately, as if they haven't quite absorbed the full implication of what they voted for because they overwhelmingly voted for that, that bill, uh, the act in 
2017. Uh, or either they don't, they haven't got worked out what it meant, um, or they do know what it means, but they're not very keen to admit to themselves what they did. So, I mean, what is? I mean, you know, for the general reader, what is the ultimate effect of uh, the Withdrawal Act passed in 2017? What the Withdrawal Act will do is essentially bring to an end the supremacy of EU law in this country. That those rights which come from the treaty, which we have been, which have been protected by the Court of Justice in Luxembourg and and enforced by the European Commission, will come to an end. And the Withdrawal Act will create something called retained EU law, which we were talking about earlier, this, this PDF of, of, of legislation that will exist. And it will be the UK courts that will be enforcing that. And the UK Parliament will be able to change retained law at any point in the future. Um, and it will not have to comply with EU rules and standards. So we will at some point through, through taking back this, this legislative control, be able to diverge from existing EU rules and standards. And, but yeah, and, and there's a sort of, there's an automatic function in there, isn't there? I mean, this is the real point, right? that, that, that you know, that's, going, you know, that's going to happen regardless of whether or not the UK, UK government successfully concludes an exit agreement with the European Union. I say, you, so the, 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 this is something you hear a little, little bit less these days, but you still hear occasionally, it's often said by commentators and you hear people following this, you say that, well, there's no majority in the House of Commons for no deal. Um, isn't there an argument to actually, well, there is a majority in the House of Commons for no deal, and it was recorded in February 2017 by, I can't remember, majority of, I think I get 459 of them voted for, you know, for legislation. That means that we will leave, come what may, yeah. hell or high water, on the 29th of March, absent some further intervention by Parliament. So effectively, Parliament has yeah, has already cast that majority vote for no deal, yeah. hasn't it? Absolutely, and, and, and it was 498 votes to 114 yeah. to trigger yeah. Article 50. Um, and the consequence of that was the EU Withdrawal Act, which has written in it a specific exit day, which is the 29th of March, 2019, at 11 o'clock in the evening. There is some possibility that, that can be changed. There are yes. there is scope within well, the, within within um, using statutory instruments. Ministers could come and change the date ever so slightly, um, but for a short extension. But that 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 wouldn't really change the fundamental that we are that in the act we are leaving at yes, that particular absolutely. moment in time. But it's on that point actually, because obviously this idea. Of uh, we can talk more about this in a moment, but certainly I, I think the idea of a, a technical extension, of a, yeah, pushing mm. the deadline back a little bit just to make sure that mm. just particularly the legislative work is done, all the necessary bills are passed, uh, and the ratification process is concluded on both sides, um, y you think that can be done by statutory instrument? You know, and bear in mind, you know, it's just possible that some people listening to this don't know what a statutory instrument is. Or, you know, the, the, Essentially, you, it would be, the minister would be doing it under powers which are contained within the Act, which enabled the minister to make that technical change for very specific reasons. It's not about a sort of a longer extension of Article 50. No. Um, which not a substantive, substantive one, yes. Yeah. It is simply but, for that very small technical reason. In order to be able to sort of dot the I's, cross the T's, ensure the administrative regime's in place and ensure that, that, that the UK has got those, all those pieces of, of legislation on the statute book. Um, uh, and to, to get down really into some of, some of the parliamentary weeds of this, and I, I will confess my ignorance on the basis of having been a parliamentary and political reporter for about 15 years, uh, and therefore I tried to, we always try to avoid Erskine and May wherever possible. Secondary, secondary legislation, statutory instruments, that, that sort of exercise of ministerial power yes. in, in, in the bill. Um, could that be challenged by from the floor of the House? Could MPs say, in fact, we, yeah, no, no minister, you don't get to just 
you know, sign, a, sign a document extending Article 50, that's got to come back to us. We, yeah, there has to be a vote in the Commons on, on that decision as well. I, I mean, I think it would certainly be possible under the way in which the, the, um, the, the parliamentary procedures have been changed in, the, in, in recent weeks, where I think it would certainly be possible that um, MPs could put forward a motion requesting that the minister come before the House, explain it and seek a vote on that motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what the, what the Dominic Grieve amendment, yes. I think, has been very... I think that ultimately was perhaps one of the objectives is to, to, to control the, any extension yes. to Article, yes. Article 50 by, by the government and how it's, going to be, how it's going to be achieved. Okay, so you know, although presumably a government that was trying to seek that technical extension of Article 50 would be doing so because, broadly speaking, there was an agreement in place yes. around a form of withdrawal. Uh, absolutely. And therefore, you'd hope it wouldn't necessarily be wildly controversial in, uh, in Parliament. But the, the hope that things weren't proved controversial yes. in Parliament is yes. a, uh, well, has been proved wrong occasionally. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so, yeah, which takes us on to the question, yeah, well, essentially, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the small question of, um, you yeah, know, what happens next? I mean, we know, you know, it, it, as we speak, it is the, uh, what's the day? The, the, uh, the 5th of February. 52 um, days uh, we're, left. No, we're, we're, we're almost at the point where we're going to start counting it hours, not days. Um, uh, but we have 52 days until uh, until on the 29th of March, 11 p.m. 11 p.m. Note, uh, midnight Brussels time. Um, uh, make of that what you will. We leave. So... What on earth happens in those fifty-two days um, that doesn't end up with with the horrible mess of yeah, uh, Britain tumbling out without a, without a deal and all the all the horror that that entails? We, I think, all eyes now have to be on two things. One is the process of trying of the prime minister trying to renegotiate the the backstop agreement, the Irish backstop agreement, the one that ensures there'll be no hard border on on the island of Ireland, who can allow free movement of goods to continue between between the two the, the two countries, and what then manifests itself in the vote on February the fourteenth in response to that attempt to renegotiate. It's going to be challenging. I mean, the EU has already said that opening up the withdrawal agreement as as an entity is not on the table. They repeat, they said that in December and they've pretty much repeated that now. They are prepared to look at other ways in which the UK could be reassured. There may be some possibility of some sort of legal addendum to the, to, 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 to the, to the treaty, um, to the withdrawal agreement, or there may be some other mechanisms which yet haven't, haven't come about, um, which, which could be used. However, it is fairly clear that there seems to be an emerging view from those who oppose the backstop, certainly within the Conservative Party, only a removal of it is mm. going to be acceptable, that any other sort of mechanism is, is, isn't going to be. How that sits with, 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 with other parties, for example, the DUP, is, mm. is, is difficult because the acceptance of some need of guarantee in some form of backstop, I think, is accepted politically on the whole by by all parties it's just a question what is what it looks like so whether, whether it's because a question of a backstop not the backstop yes I mean, a huge huge amount, of, huge, huge amount of this conversation turn on the difference between you know, on, on uh, definite and indefinite article, yes. articles a and v and equally if you know given that that position enumerated by the uh, by the, the the european research group uh, strand of, of tories it takes us on to the question of whether or not any deal will ultimately have to rely on on, on Labour votes, doesn't it? It does. Um, interestingly enough, last week in the Commons, the government secured several Labour MPs voting with it on the on the on the proposal to seek alternative arrangements. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that may well be the way forward. I think I think there's there is a concern amongst many Labour MPs, those particularly who represent constituencies where the Leave vote was quite high, yeah. that there needs that they need to be seen to be giving effect to what their voters wanted um, in in the referendum. And that may well in there force them to vote with yes. with with, with, yes. the, with because, the government. And, and certainly, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, thinking, you're probably thinking of people like Caroline Flint, Lisa yes. Nandy, in Austin, Stephen Mann, yeah, I think yeah, people, yeah, sort of that that mm. people, people of, the, of of that sort. Now, they, I mean, I know without any names, but I know certainly quite a few people in that in that territory who certainly, if it came down to a binary choice between, uh, you know, no deal. And Theresa May's deal, they'll take the deal. Mm. Um, but equally, you know, for as long as there are three options potentially on the table, no deal, a May deal, and no Brexit of some sort, a lot of people in the Labour Party are not quite sure mm. where they're going to go because obviously a lot of Labour members particularly are very keen on remaining in some way, shape or form. So in terms of the parliamentary process, is there any feasible way whereby... Uh, the 14th of February or afterwards, will it ever be possible for you know, the government, and it certainly seems to be Theresa May's intention, you know, government parliament to take no Brexit off the table, to, 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 to shrink this down to the absolute binary of the deal or leave with no deal? I think, I mean, it's interesting that that, that idea of no Brexit was brought into the debate, mm. whereas it previously didn't exist. And I think that was used as a way of, of trying to, to sort of scare perhaps or, or yeah. cajole yeah. Labour MPs potentially to vote for it. The, the, the effect of it has been there is whilst it may, it, may, it may have done that in some instances, also said, well, other MPs have said, well, if you say no, no Brexit, then maybe that's one idea yeah. that we need to pursue. And yeah. that's, that's become something that's got more traction. As a concept, not there's n how that would happen is 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 yeah. is, is completely. Oh no no no! Yeah, we haven't got time to talk to talk, yeah. talk through how we would go about reversing you know, reversing rescind, rescinding and return, returning to membership because and it may well be that there are no clear answers to that question. But let's, let's stick with where we are at the moment. What, what might happen next? So, so I think that was that would be a possibility, and I think that one of the things that many Labour MPs are coming to to, to the conclusion to is that the Prime Minister is in a position, in quite a weak position in one sense, where she is going to have to make and has started to make concessions about certain standards and rules after Brexit. We've yes. seen this already with respect to the um, John Mann Amendment yes. on yes. employment yes. rights, where essentially yep. suggesting that UK rights will mirror EU, yes. EU rules as they develop. The, the um, Jack Dromery and Caroline yes. Spellman amendment, non-binding amendment on no deal. But interestingly enough, they were invited in to see the Prime Minister the following day as well to discuss mm. their concerns around the motor industry, oddly yes. enough, yes. Which, which is, which is their, their constituencies in the West Midlands. And I think also around things like environmental protection, consumer rights, and I think potentially also on certain other issues on sort of closer cooperation, sort of political type of cooperation. There are Labour MPs who perhaps think that it's better to be inside that sort of larger tent where yeah. there is at least some consensus can be built. And then we can decide we can battles of the lines can be redrawn and then the post Brexit legislative agenda and policy agenda yes. will have to start emerging. So right, we will get yeah, and that, we want to come to that in a second. Before we, before, one last question before we get we, before we talk about the small matter of you know, what, what life is like outside the European Union. Um, let's say 
for the sake of argument, that somehow some form of deal is cobbled together between the UK government and the European Union that comes back such that Theresa May can win the meaningful vote uh, in approval of, of that modified deal, possibly involving Labour votes, possibly not, who knows. Uh, so she wins the meaningful vote. There's then quite a lot of work to be done between the 14th of February and the 29th of March, mm-hmm. isn't there? So yes. Can you, can you briefly talk through, you talk through what, what, what needs to be done to essentially tick all, all the legislative boxes before, you know, in order for Britain to leave in an orderly fashion on the 29th of March? Well, the key piece of legislation is going to be with the Withdrawal um, Agreement Implementation Bill which hasn't obviously hasn't been laid before Parliament yet because there's no withdrawal agreement in place. That would be the first bit of legislation that's in place. Um, needs to be put into place. That, I think, is going to be... It could be done quickly. I suspect that MPs and peers will want to go through it in the mm. same way they went through the withdrawal mm. agreement. Yeah. There are a number of issues which are being raised about the compatibility of the Withdrawal Act, for example, with the withdrawal agreement. I know yeah. Bill Cash keeps sort of talking about this a lot. But there are... I think, we, we live in an age when it's no longer possible to, to, to ignore what Bill, Bill, what Bill Cash says. Yes. About things, they may well turn out to be of Af- epochal importance. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is, there is the trade bill, which is going through part Parliament yeah. as well. There's the customs legit bill that needs to go through in terms of what our mm. customs arrangements and what, what 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 we are going to be physically doing at the border. There's there's legislation on nuclear safety. There's legislation on agriculture. There's legislation on fisheries. Yeah. So, um, so all this is leading, you know you, you know what the next question is. Given all everything that has to be done between the 14th of February and the 29th of March, given the possibility for all of those things to be essentially held up by the Lords of the Commons' different arguments, um, is it really possible that Britain can in fact leave in an orderly fashion with a deal in place on the 29th of March? So so if we're going to have a deal, a delay is inevitable, isn't it? I I think a delay is... (laughs) Inevitable. Mm. I, I wouldn't let's go far saying it's inevitable. <laughs> overwhelmingly likely. Overwhelmingly likely, I think. And and indeed, I, I, we we hear sort of mixed messages from 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 cabinet ministers. Mm. Uh, yeah. Chris Grayling and, and and Jeremy Hunt seem to be at at odds about this as well to some extent. Yes. Um, even, even over the last couple of days, I think a short an extension will be necessary. The issue will be how long. Yeah. The, 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 the 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 sort of direction of travel on this seems to be thirtieth of June which would enable UK to leave before the next European Parliament yes, meets, yes. which would essentially mean, mean that, that... we wouldn't have to field... We wouldn't, we wouldn't have to hold, hold, hold elections yes. to send members of the European Parliament Absolutely. from the UK to the, to the European Parliament, which, which the EU really doesn't want. Um, that, because that... Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think this government um, doesn't want either, no, because no, I think no, it, no. There, would, there would be quite negative, potentially negative consequences for, <sighs> for, for yes. it. Um, yes, fine. Okay, so yeah, hence that's, that's, where we, that's where we get this argument, that, you know, this discussion of the idea of, of the technical extension. Mm. Is it technical, not, not substantial? Okay, so moving forward with our, you know, our, our optimistic hypothesis that uh, a deal is constructed of some sort, that in fact you know, we leave in some way, shape or form by the 30th of March, sorry, oops, sorry, 30th of June, not the 29th of March, the next bit, life outside. Is it going to be the case, and we'll, 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 you know, is it the case that once we leave the European Union, that we enter the 1950s era, 1850s era of splendid isolation, visited by some Brigadiers, where 
Her Majesty's Sovereign Britannic Parliament does whatever it wants, however it wants, with no regard whatever to what those funny foreigners over there in Brussels are doing with their rule book. The starting point for that rules-based relationship is going to be the current rules that the, U- the UK is, 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 is using under its, throughout its membership of the European Union. That means that that means that as far as the UK is concerned, life outside isn't going to change immediately. There will be, first of all, a transition period with, with a withdrawal agreement, yeah. which will go through to the, 20, to the 31st of December 2020. Though it's, I'm not sure yeah. whether if we extended Article 50, whether there would be an extra oh, the, three yes, months. The, whether you, 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 you push back the start of the standstill transition. Yes. I think the withdrawal agreement actually sets the end of the transition period as a, as a specified point in time, a date. Yeah, it's not some now plus 80, X plus 18 months point um, arrangement. Um, equally, you'd think that might be part of the withdrawal agreement that might end up being reopened and revisited in due course. So um, that EU rulebook will remain quite important yes. to, you, you, yes. you, you, to, to, to British life afterwards. So we, we're probably not going to you know, sail off into the, uh, into the middle, mid-Atlantic and in, in, in spend isolation. One last question, if we, if we try, try and wrap up, and it's a, it's a terrible thing to ask you to try, try and sum up. Non-regression. Um, because the you mentioned earlier on environmental standards and uh, and labour rights, so, so the withdrawal agreement specifies a number of areas where Britain would have to try and meet EU standards, or at least commit not to fall below them. This is essentially the EU's fear that Britain outside the European Union would not would potentially undercut. European businesses and European mm-hmm. economies by relaxing environmental standards, labour standards, and the rest. And so therefore, Singapore on the, on, therefore, on the, on the coast there was really particularly in the back, the backstop. We've, we've we've done really well. We haven't, we haven't mentioned the backstop much, much so far. The backstop says we would be committed to non-regression, mm-hmm. so we, we we wouldn't undercut the yes. EU. Um, how does that work? Who ultimately decides whether or not the the U, the UK in that scenario is undercutting the UK the EU on environmental standards on labour on on competition state aid policy? Um, I mean, it's going to come. It's going to come. Firstly, I think through a process whereby the under the withdrawal agreement, the European Parliament is going to be looking very carefully at what the UK mm. continues to do, and we'll be raising that issue with with with, with the Commission. In terms of the, the with, in terms of the, the functioning of the withdrawal agreement, but I think that there is a sort of a, 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 it, it, we sort of come back almost to square one on this, because what we're going to end up seeing is that the UK and the EU will be back in the negotiating room. Yes, and they'll be back negotiating on the on, <laughs> not on not on how much we pay, but on what our future relationship yes. is going to be, and what those standards are going to be, and what dispute mechanisms we're going to be using for that, and. What was very interesting, there was a European Council just before, I think sometime in mid-November, where the German European Affairs Minister said that their backstop is going to be ensuring that in any future trade agreement, standards on on, on environmental protection, yeah. consumer protection, employment rights, social rights are included in there. So it's going to be more than just trade. Yes. And this, I think, is where the battle and, lines and are going this to be is, drawn this in, is, in, in Parliament. This is why, as the Swiss say, no, no negotiation with the EU ever ends. Yes. That, if, you, if you live near the EU yes. and, you, and you have a relationship with it, you mm. won't be talking to the EU about your relationship Absolutely. forever. And why, this is why anybody, sadly, uh, you know, who, talk, who uses the phrase after Brexit hasn't quite grasped mm. that this is this is forever. This is, yes. what, we, this is what we do now. Yes. Hooray! That must be very good for you. Last question before we wrap up. Darius, uh, you're, you're, you're an academic lawyer, interested in Parliament. And the prison. Probably, for, dare I say, for quite a lot of your career, that was probably not the most sort of 
you know, popular yeah. or it wasn't the sort of thing where you know, people at parties probably go, oh, that's interesting. Um, you must be loving this now. Well, I, yeah, I, I spent most of my, my academic career looking at how Parliament, researching into how the UK Parliament implements EU rules and then and then applies them to its regulatory framework and then enforces them. And then I woke up on the 24th of June 2016 <laughs> and realised that's not going to be there anymore. So, so sort of Brexit is reinvented my, my, my career in that way um, and I, but I th- but I think that one, one of the challenges of this has been is making this relevant to a broader public yes. audience the idea that we leave and you know brexit takes brexit means brexit and we leave and, and we, we stop all the foreigners from coming and we don't pay any more money and we live in this sort of idyllic sort of 1950s sort of world like we were before I don't think that is that that, 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 that is that is a complete misunderstanding I think of what brexit yeah. brexit is what brexit is it going to do um, that is the challenge now I think yeah. for anybody researching brexit to, is to, to communicate ex- it. just explain this mm. is all bluntly very very complicated yes. and fiddly and is going to have many more mm. consequences than you may have necessarily recognized which is yes indeed which is why we're here and which is why we're very pleased that you have been here for the social market foundation podcast with uh, as part of our ask the expert series thanks to the esrc uh, so with that i will say uh, professor adam tiggin of the school of law of leicester university thank you very much thank you